Right, thanks again for the chance to share a few moments with you guys. Um, if you could turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 1. At, at Christmas time, I think, um, probably this is a, a very popular verse to speak on. I just felt there's something that God would remind us about his work in incarnating himself to us. So John chapter 1, I'd like to read verse 1 through to 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So here we get a God view of, um, of the world, where there is God incarnate in his word, or God expressed in his word, shining onto the world. And the, world, the, the word overcome has this idea of, of trying to wrap around and, and obtain something or... Um, or uh, understand it, or defeat it. And so there's, there's this kind of contrast between light and darkness here. Then in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this is the Christmas story but without cattle and stables and young girls pregnant out of wedlock, it's, it's how God sees it, his sending of himself into the world in a way where he can communicate his glory to us. There's an interesting thing that happened on our, um, on our farm recently where uh, one of the other companies that's near us had a whole bunch of grain maize that was rotting and they had to get rid of it. And it was thousands of tons. It was a, an awful lot of grain. It's a real pity. So they decided they were going to dig big holes with excavators and bury it. And what happened is that the local community got to hear of this, and there were just hordes of people coming, trying to dig this grain up and sift it or catch it off the back of the truck. And we, numbers of times, you know, we stopped and we just remonstrated with these guys. and said, this stuff is, will poison you. It's rotten. It won't help you and I remember this guy saying to me you don't understand we're poor and I said you don't understand you eat this and you'll get diarrhea and you'll die and then where will your family be she says no no it's not the same for us and and in fact what actually had to happen in the end is that company needed to arrange for guards and we had to have conversations with the police and the law came in and that was the only way that we could stop these people taking this grain so there is a truth that can't be communicated. And the reason with these people, um, they didn't trust our motives. 
So they thought, you don't actually care about what's going on in our lives. You're trying to keep this good thing from us because whatever. We don't know what your motives are, but they're not good. Um, they didn't feel that we understood them or, and where they came from. That's different for us. We are very poor. So if we don't have, eat this, we don't eat anything. Uh, they felt that we applied principles to them that were, were not appropriate for them. They were just for other people. So there's rich people and there's poor people. You can apply your principles to rich people. And ultimately, they just ignored us. So the truth, his, like the truth, the, every truth boils down to one question. Who is God? That's the question everybody's heart is really asking, whether they know it or not. That is the, the point of truth. Who is this God? Is he even there? Now, some people resolve that, say, no, he's not. Question solved, then I've got to deal with a life without God there. Does he care about me? Is he interested in my life at all? So if there is a God, is he distant? Is he, is he disengaged, not interested? What does he want from me? So if this God is there, if he cares, what does he want out of me? Is he good? Those are questions that echo in every human heart, in every culture all over the world, throughout all history. Who is God? And for the same reason that our neighbors were not interested in what we had to tell them about the grain, the human race has never been interested in what God had to tell them about himself. So no matter what God said through history, through the history of Israel, the same questions came up in the human heart. What are your motives? Clearly your motives are not good. You, you, what you're talking about doesn't apply to me. And in fact, God's solution in the Old Testament was ultimately there needed to be a law for the people of Israel. Because you couldn't understand who I am, so actually these are the boundaries, go outside them and the ground will swallow you up. So it became that kind of relationship. But the story doesn't end there. You know, when <coughs> the lengths that a person will go to communicate with you tells you how important that person thinks you are and how important they think that the message they have to give is. So, you know, if, um, <laughs> you know, you get that thing where teenagers seem to dump each other by text these days. I just think, <laughs> what, is it, what message is that? Say, I can't actually be bothered to front up to you to say our relationship is over. I'm going to send you a text. And that tells you what they think of you and how important they think the message is. In the incarnation, think the message that God has to communicate. He is communicating himself. He's not talking about himself. He is communicating his person. So when you speak to me, the words that come out of my mouth will, over time, will build up a picture to you of who I am. If I shut my mouth and say nothing, you won't know me. You can know about me. You could get a bunch of incriminating stories from my brother. And so you could, you could know stuff about me, but you won't know me if I will shut my mouth, if I won't talk with you. And if I talk to you, and even if I lie, over time you start to figure out who this person is. But the words that come from my mouth, they're kind, of, they're kind of dead words. They come out, they make a sound in the atmosphere, they record something in your brain, and you work with those to build up a picture. When God speaks, what comes from him is a living, breathing person. 
who, who steps into our context and who talks our language and who breathes our air and suffers our sufferings and, and all the time perfectly communicates God. So the lengths at which God goes is to create with his own person to bring out of himself this word that is himself, who is an animate, living, loving person, a human being in the case of Jesus Christ. So, and Jesus Christ communicates God to us perfectly in every way. So that Jesus could say to Philip, have I been with you so long and you don't know me? If you have seen me, you've seen the Father. There's nothing more to see. This is God the Father when you know me, when you see me. There's a lovely phrase when it says here, he dwelt among us. Um, the, the phrase in the Greek is, is this beautiful concept. Some of your translations may have the word he tabernacled among, among us. It means he pitched a tent. You know, if, if someone came to visit you and knocked on your door, you think, oh, this person wants to know me. But if they pitch a tent in your front yard, then things are getting a bit more serious. You know, this is someone who's actually here to stay. And when, when that word is used, it carries all the history of the tabernacle, of God dwelling with the people of Israel in their midst, in the wilderness, and then later on in the, temp in the temple. God's saying, I am here with you. I am not moving. I am here to stay. I'm not just visiting to pass on a message and leaving, which would be in itself significant. I am actually committing that we are now in this together forever. He pitched his tent among us. So we find, um, we find in the incarnation that God wants to be known. He wants people to know him and he wants to know you. He doesn't actually want uh, to be known about primarily. He wants to be known. He, he desires, he is passionate for intimacy. The, the fabric of the universe is founded on relationship that is enduring covenant relationship and God desires to make those covenant bonds with human beings individually, intimately, permanently, um, that is the passionate call of the heart of God for us. And we find that through the scriptures that the incarnation goes further than just Jesus the man. I mean to say just Jesus the man. Because it becomes not, not just a man walking in our midst, but Jesus then within us. And then God continues his incarnation work in you. Because you become his incarnation now. Yeah? We incarnate God to each other. You look at me to see God working in me and through me so you know God better. We stand in front of our friends and our neighbors and our work colleagues and that is what they have to see God. That is how God incarnates now. Jesus is still a man, a still a Jewish man in heaven. He is still a man. But the, the work of the incarnation continues in his people, incarnating his presence on the earth, now, today, every day. 
So we see the intensity of God's love in the incarnation. This is where it becomes um, extreme, really. <coughs> I mean, it sounds a bit... I hope you don't mind me saying it this way, but there is nobody in this room who, who is not physically capable of killing a baby. Okay, now I'm saying, God help us, I hope none of us are actually emotionally capable of doing that. But it is a trivial matter to snuff out the life of a baby. They are totally defenseless. Yeah? So God came to the earth in the arms of these sinful creatures who, who actually were committed to destroying him and, and ignoring him. But he came totally defenseless. So imagine God, who most of the world sees as his enemy, appearing in this manger where anyone in the world, more or less, could have snuffed his life out in a minute. The amazing faith of God and God saying, I will strip off all of those things that make you afraid and I will appear to you as the most humble and the most defenseless that I can be. And that same God, as he grows hands himself to his enemies. That is the extent of his passion for intimacy with us, the intensity of his love, that he would subject himself to these levels of self-humiliation, of suffering, of misunderstanding, so that he could communicate uh, God to us. He could communicate himself to us. And the message that God communicates in Christ is the simple message, I actually love you. Behind what you understand my motives to be and whatever message you think I'm saying, I actually love you and there is no limit to my love. I will not hold back. There is no point at which you will find that you have got to a place where my love cannot reach you. There is nowhere where the love of God will not extend to find you. And I've tried to imagine sometimes what it must have been like to look in the eyes of Jesus, who would have been quite an ordinary person, and then to realize that you're looking at a person that there is no, there's nothing that he would not do to win your heart. That must have been quite frightening as a person with no boundaries. For you, I will go anywhere. I will suffer anything. I will endure anything for you and that is why when when we see jesus we finally understand the heart of god it becomes a place where god's love is unequivocally demonstrated so as i said the incarnation continues if you turn to colossians 1 verse 27 In verse 26, Paul says, um, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, he's finishing a sentence, but is now revealed to his saints, verse 27, to them, to his saints, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ incarnate on the earth, then Christ, I won't use the word reincarnate, <laughs> but Christ incarnate 
anew in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. So the knowledge of God's person in Christ brings about for us intimacy and union with God. And that's his plan and his passion. Not that we come to church, but that we know him. That's God's passion for us. And Christ in us is, where you, is, is the place of union, where the living God dwells within us, where we are in this intimate place where none of our thoughts, none of our lives are separated from him. And that's his call for us. And Christ in us is God's continued incarnation, incarnation to express the hope of his glory into the world. So for you, Christian, you are God's incarnation now because as, as Christ coming speaks the language, understands the life of the people, you understand the people around you and you speak their language in a way that no one else does. And so as God stripped of all of his power and glory, it was on the earth to show us God's glory. We, in our ordinariness and our very unspectacular lives, bring that same message to the people around us. And not all of us are evangelists who can just harvest people by the thousand. But all of us speak God to the people around us. God has so planned this world that most, for most people, the gospel comes to them through one person standing in front of another person and telling them and testifying, this is who God is. That's a reality. It won't ever change. It doesn't matter what we do with technology. That will be the way that most people will receive the truth of Christ. Ultimately, it comes down to the word spoken through one, one person's mouth to another person's ears and then the testimony of their lives. So radical discipleship is making deliberate steps of obedience that treasure intimacy with Christ over anything that the world offers. That's what people will see in us. We making nonsensical steps to them to follow this God who we have become convinced loves us above everything else. Radical discipleship will lead us to suffering and will lead us to alienation and to glory. I think these are just simple truths for following Christ. This nation here, I see it from afar more than from near up, is quite sick. I think both many of you see it as you live here and is desperately in need of the transformation that comes through God's glory incarnate in his people to this nation. Ordinary people without superpowers living out the truth of the reality of the incarnate God in their lives to the people they can, that they are around. Thank you. Shall I pray to finish? Jesus, I, I praise you for your incarnation. I praise you for the depths and lengths that you went to reach us. I pray, Father, challenge our hearts to run after you, not with calculated, moderated steps, but with passionate, teeth bared, ears back. Run for you. Jesus, you are everything, and you are worthy of everything in our lives. There is nothing that we hold that is not worth laying at your feet. I pray, God, 
set your fire in our hearts, the, the passion for intimacy with you and the passion for your kingdom to come. I pray in Jesus' name.